if you want to close out this year strong and start next year even stronger, then you may want to check out the Same Side Selling Academy six-week immersion program starting on October 10th. It's going to be limited to a small number of people, and it's hopefully a group that's going to be highly engaged, focused on same-side selling and how to grow your business. Just go to samesidesellingacademy.com to sign up. Hey, it's Ian Altman. Thanks for taking the time to hop over to Amazon and post a review for Same Side Selling. We're trying to ramp the number up for reviews to about 100. So if you can take the time, assuming you've read Same Side Selling, that'd be awesome. And if you do it and take a picture of it and send it to me, we'll send you a gift. Today's guest is Howard Rogers. Now, Howard was a guest on season one. Howard's the CEO of Bright Claim, an organization that back in season one had grown from a little less than 30 million to about 50 million in just over a year. And Howard made the comment in that episode, look, if this keeps up, we're going to more than double the business in a few years. We're going to talk about how Howard tripled their business from about 30 million to over 100 million and sold the company. We're going to talk about specific strategies they use from a sales and marketing standpoint to achieve those goals, where they looked for acquisitions, how they communicated to customers, and the biggest lessons he learned along the way. You're going to learn a ton unless you don't care about growing a business from 30 to 100 million from Howard Rogers. Howard Rogers, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ian. How are you doing today? You know what? I've never been finer. I'm getting over a little bit of a cold, as you can probably hear, but um, it's much better than a month ago where I lost my voice entirely. So now it's a little gravelly, but uh, but we'll get over it. So for our audience's benefit, is there something surprising or something that people may not know about you that uh, might catch them off guard? Uh, probably that I grew up in a, um, in a farm agricultural background. So um, my early days uh, growing up and even through college was spent around uh, 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 activities on a farm and a, a rather large farm selling both uh, cash crops and, and raising uh, cattle. Wow. Well, you know what? And, and uh, by the way, I got to believe there's a lot of life lessons that you learn there. Oh, absolutely. Uh, um, uh, there's a lot of cliches and that sort of thing that comes out of that, but... Uh, at the end of the day, uh, it, it teaches you uh, uh, lessons that you probably didn't know that you were being taught at the time, but later when you reflect back, you uh, you recognize the uh, uh, what really came out of that to benefit you later in life. Yeah, it's funny. At, at, a, at a much smaller scale, in uh, in our house, we've got some we've got some uh, vegetable gardens, and when our kids were young the amazement on their face, like, so that's where a tomato comes from. Like, you know, it's just, I mean, cause you know, you take people growing up in a, in a, in a suburban environment and you lose sight of the fact that, yeah, this fruit and you know, this produce actually grows on trees. And we, we do, we, we buy a half of a dry aged beef, um, you know, periodically. And we actually go out to the farm and, see the cattle and all that. And I think it gives our kids a better appreciation for that whole idea of farm to table. Absolutely. So, um, well, the, the thing, the thing I want people to learn from our session today is the, the kind of the story of bright claim. And, and since we started talking about bright claim a while back, 
Now we know that it's part of GenPact, so people can, because my audience is pretty sharp, they probably figured out, well, gee, if BrightClaim is part of GenPact, GenPact, I'm guessing they acquired BrightClaim. But take me back before the acquisition and kind of give me an evolution of the company and give us a little bit of a snapshot of the company and how you got to eventually selling the business. Sure, be glad to. Um so we actually started as a as a startup small company back in 2004. Um, we were focused in the uh, insurance industry vertical. Uh, more specifically, we were providing uh, services to uh, insurance carriers around the, the claims handling component of of their portion of the business. More related to property and casualty, typically your auto and home, and and the things that most people know from a from a, being, being consumers in the marketplace. Um, and uh, our focus was really around um, what, what then was considered uh, less traditional, more on the cutting edge, which was really helping companies uh, develop new strategies around centralization of their processes. And yep. if, you, if you start thinking about the top 10, you can think about this in any industry, but the top 10 of that industry, what are they doing? And they usually have enough size and scale that they can create uh, new processes and they can create new strategies and and do that all internally without outside help. But uh, in most industries, once you get past that, then then there becomes a, a, a lack of expertise, knowledge, and experience in trying to help develop that. And that's where we focus. We focused on uh, those. Um, clients that we felt we could come in and make a difference by helping them find um, you know, new approaches or changes to their current approach to help them uh, better enable them to um, handle and process claims um, and, and really comes down to customer service and managing the expense of, of getting the best customer service out there. And that's really our, that's fundamentally what our approach was. Yeah, well, and the, the thing I love that I want to make sure our audience picks up on is as you're describing what it is that your business does, you are describing it entirely from the perspective of the problems or gaps that your clients have. You're not describing it in terms of, well, we do this sort of claims management and here's the way we handle integrated claims and here you're not talking about that. You're saying, look, if if you're a if you're a midsize insurance company, if you're a manufacturer that all of a sudden has a product recall, you probably don't have the people and the expertise and the resources to effectively manage it. And if you don't, you're gonna have a customer service nightmare in your hands and it's gonna cost you a fortune. And we can help fix that. And you don't even have to talk about how you fix it. The fact that you can acknowledge and identify the problem, I'm guessing in many cases, gives your clients the comfort that you know how to address it. That's correct. That's exactly. It's almost like, uh, you know, you're not going in talking about uh, what you can do from a service standpoint. You're talking about what your skills are and how that will benefit the client uh, and the issues that they are probably facing or issues that they are facing and they, they just don't want to recognize them yet. Yep. Now, now let me ask you, because in, in the first, let's say, 10 years of the company, 2004 to, let's say, 2013, 2014, um, 
I mean, you had, you had some decent success in that you grew the company from zero to, you know, in that 2013-14 time frame, about what was the size of the company? Oh, uh, going back, um, Ian, it was probably around the 2013 time frame, probably around, um, and getting pretty close, thirty around $30 million. Yeah, $30 million. So, by the way, $30 million is a decent-sized business and something that's respectable and it's something that most people growing a business would absolutely love to get to a business that's about $30 million. Now, in that, you know, we go 2014 through 2016, and by the end of 2016, you went from about $30 million to what? Uh, we went to uh, $30 million to uh, $100 million plus. Okay. So what changed that all of a sudden got you? Guess what? $30 million is nothing to sneeze at going from zero to $30 million in about 10 years. And then you, in essence, more than tripled the business in three years. Yes. So what changed? What did you do differently? Well, um, I think it comes back to just uh, the fundamental strategy. And uh, it, it took us a while to really um, put our arms around this and grasp what we needed to do in, in making the hard decision. It really came down to uh, basically two fundamental strategies. One was that we needed to make a, a fundamental change in terms of, of what we were doing from a sales standpoint and how we were targeting our clients for the organic growth that we needed to have. But at the same time, we recognized that organic growth wasn't going to be 100% of, of our growth. It, it couldn't, we couldn't sustain the continued growth um, organically. And we needed to diversify our service capabilities by bringing in um, services that we didn't offer but were very similar in what we provided that not only allowed us to sell those services, but it gives you a second approach to a client to say, here's something we offer today, and you get to reintroduce the capabilities that you currently have. So uh, it, it became a, a combined effort in terms of a strategy of both sales and new um, you know, new service offerings through through these acquisitions. And the, and the thing is, with the acquisitions, just so people understand, it's not like it's not like you went from thirty million and then you acquired seventy million dollars in revenue. No, and the, on the acquisition that. side, it, it's still a relatively small percentage of the overall pie, isn't it? Yes, that's true. The the, the acquisitions yeah. were small acquisitions in terms of the, the overall number that we got to. Um, they were a very good fit. It took us a while to go through the process to find the right, you know, the right companies that would fit with us, mesh with us, uh, the whole thing around, you know, the the, 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 the management teams working together uh, around your culture, cultural between the, the two companies being relatively aligned, that you could see that there was a match. And... Yep. Um, and going through that, and you know, while all that is going on, uh, you're simultaneously still attacking the organic growth, and you're still driving the sales activities and making changes to your marketing and content, and uh, spending more time trying to 
uh, get recognition in the marketplace to drive. So it's it's a it's a combined effort that's and and the cumulative effect of those two is not one plus one equals two. It was one plus one and equals something more than that. And sure. so that and, and so that was um, that was the basis for it. I think that's really what what came out. Um, well, the, the the other thing that I want to make sure that 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 people that our listeners get a sense of is. And and this is something that I just want to make sure isn't lost on our on our audience, which is it's not like you went out and acquired people who are doing the exact same thing, the exact same thing that Brightclaim was doing already. Instead, it sounds like what you did is you said, well, so what else is missing in terms of how we're servicing our clients? What else is missing that if we offer that, our clients would love that we could offer that too? Is that kind of the idea of where you went? Yes, that's that's really where we wanted to go. We wanted to, we didn't want to augment what we already had in place, uh, in terms of exact types of services. We wanted to expand the service capabilities, but at the same time, make sure that it was a, it, it was an alignment to the services. Um, so we didn't want to go too far off the reservation, so to speak, uh, that added something uh, that that may not be core to. The, the other components, uh, yep. and we were able to find services that were that, that made a similar fit into the overall strategy uh, that uh, we were taking to our clients, and and it, and they felt that our clients saw that, and it was was a good outcome in terms of how that unfolded as we went forward. So, give an example of a gap that you saw, and then. The capability that you brought in. Uh, sure. So, so in in one of the areas that we provide services is around uh, homeowner claims. Um, all of us, you know, have our homes, and uh, insurance company insures the home and insures the contents. And so, in many situations, you have uh, uh, you have a loss at your home, and it may involve uh, your contents items. And we help service. Uh, an area of that we helped with the uh, identification of the contents with what the replacement cost value of the contents and we provide that information and help carriers to speed the settlement and the accuracy of the settlement uh, but a missing component that we had was was the the replacement or fulfillment of that content item uh, this was something that was done for years uh, in the nine, nine, early 80s in early early 90s late 80s um, fairly fairly regularly and with the change in the marketplace um, that we all know today in terms of the consumer buying capabilities off of the Internet, that's come more back in vogue. And we needed a capability to be able to offer those same replacement services. That was not a core component of what we did for content services. And we felt that opened up more opportunities for us in the marketplace because there's philosophical differences in terms of both consumers and how they buy and also for insurance carriers and how they help service their policyholders. Yep. And we were able to find a company that helped us fill that, that niche in the marketplace. So, so basically it made it so like if all of a sudden you had a fire and your dining room table got destroyed and, and some lighting and this and that, not only would you help expedite the claim, but you would even tell the people, look, and we can even – get you the replacement items and have them delivered to you. That's correct. That's exactly right. Yeah, And, and I got to believe 
that increases the customer satisfaction. And because you you presumably have some volume purchasing, I mean, here and this is this is the beauty of of what I love about your business is I know that one of the great reputations you you have in your business is that you're able to actually improve customer satisfaction and decrease claims costs at the same time. That's correct. That's that's the core focus of what we our goal is to deliver to our clients. And this this feature helped us add another component that did exactly that. And yep. um and and it gives it gives you um it gave to both insurance carriers as well as the end consumer who have the policies on their property and had the damages, it gives them options and selections and things. You know, imagine that when you're in the middle of that that major fire event that you described, um, you know, you don't have time to go and get all of the items that you may need. But if someone can actually, you know, drop ship them right to your door, and that that saves an incredible amount of time for that that person that's that's dealing with so many other issues after sure. a loss of that time. Sure. And the other thing I want to make sure that, that listeners hear is that, keep in mind, there's nothing Howard's talking about right now that is, oh, and here was a way for us to profit more. It, it's all centered around if you create a better experience for the end customer, if you create a better experience and results for your client, you'll figure out a way to make money from that and it'll all work out. But I think too many businesses forget about how am I providing more value to people along the chain? And then Absolutely. they wonder why people aren't excited about buying it. It's because they're not getting the results. Absolutely. And that's and that was a critical uh, requirement when we went through from our acquisition approaches, finding a company that had the same culture and mentality as we did, maybe even better. And in fact, we were very fortunate that that was the case. And that company had a very uh, customer-centric focus on helping the end, the the end customer, which was really the uh, policyholder that had a, a a bad situation and needed help in that process. Yep. So so now so you, you went from zero, you got up to about thirty million, and then I know you had you know we we um I I had the good fortune of working with your team, implemented some of these same side selling concepts. You worked with my friend Marcus Sheridan as well on uh, on some of the content marketing. And then I know you experienced some years of better than 50% growth um, year over year. So what changed? What did you do in terms of the sales culture and the marketing approach that, that drove those sorts of results? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it, when you go back and look at it, it was, it was really kind of a two-phased approach. Um, even though at the end they're, they're more aligned and that's you know separating really the sales activity from the marketing activity and taking a look at those separately and then bringing them back together and so what we did from a sales standpoint was really helping our our sales executives and sales staff to really understand better how to um, interact with the clients and think about you know it's the bigger the organization gets the more you have to drive this down and helping them understand that, just like what we started talking about, Ian, on, on this call, is it's not about going in and talking about all the things you do. It's going in and talking about what the issues are that your client's facing and how you can help them solve it. 
And it was really just, just getting everybody's mentality around that um, to help them, you know, approach this better. Um, and spending some time because everybody comes with a different perspective on how they should be selling. Um, everybody's got a, a different approach on how they go through that process and is really uh, helping them adapt to something that may be to initially seem foreign to them. Um, it's so much easier to walk in and say, oh, let me show you the five things we do, and then just walk out. <laughs> Exactly, because then you don't have to listen, you don't have to participate, but to teach people how to ask the right questions, it's a totally different thing. There's a concept that I teach um, now that actually when we worked with your team, it wasn't, you know, this, this concept wasn't as, as clear as I teach it today. But in essence, one of the concepts I teach is that if you want to sell hyper value, if you want to sell where the client sees, wow, there's tremendous value, it comes down to mutual understanding of two things. One is that there's a mutual understanding between the buyer and seller about what the impact is to their organization of not solving their issue. And then it's a mutual understanding and agreement of the likely results they will get from engaging you. And so I got to believe when you go in and talk to your clients and your team does this and they walk in and, and talk about the issue the client's facing with how they manage their claims and what it's costing them and how it's impacting their reputation. Now they're thinking, wow, this is a problem that's worth solving. And then you just you describe how you've solved that problem for other companies who are now spending less and getting better results. Once the client sees that, my guess is – you weren't dragging a lot of people across broken glass to get a sale. They were asking you how soon you could start. Exactly. And it's really getting in there and understanding the issue and sometimes helping them understand their issue. Um, it maybe as an 80-20, 80% helping you, you understanding their issue. But sometimes you run across where the issue that they're facing is right in front of everybody, but um, maybe it wasn't being brought forward and you had to go through a process to help them understand here's how we help other companies with issues and oh by the way these the issues are very similar in the industry yep absolutely and so so once you start once you started shifting that mindset and getting your whole team remember we did an immersion program with your team once you once you got to that point what did you see were they were they you know keep in mind you grew 50 percent um, organically at the time, um, in, in the first, I think year, 18 months coming, coming out of this. And so were they pursuing more opportunities or were they just have it, were they more precise on what they were pursuing? I, I, I don't think it was pursuing more. In fact, if you go back and look, um, it was being, is, is more quality than quantity. And it yep. was really, um, identifying, you know, your targets, going in and talk to the clients, and then being much more um, fluent in, in your whole approach. And and really, uh, at the end of, it wasn't going to always be a fit, right? When you go in, you're not going to fit with every single client. And if that's not a fit, fine, move on to the next client. Um, but by doing so, you know, there was a confidence level with the sales execs that, you know, now we're going in and talking from actual issue approach and yep. we're having dialogue about those issues and what the what the impact of those issues are and who's it important to and coming out of the meeting with with more of an action plan than what you typically have in a sales environment and 
once we started that, I think it, it really uh, enabled the team to be much more proactive in the process and much more proactive in helping clients solve solutions, solve their problems with, new, with different solutions. Yeah, and it's just it's great because you see that confidence in the reps. And the, the one thing that I remember is when you first saw me speak, and I forget where it was, and it was somewhere in Atlanta, and you made a comment. You said, you know, this is, you know, I, I totally agree with these principles, and this is the way I've always done it, but I have trouble getting my team to buy into this, and I don't know why it works this way, and I guarantee it will work the same way with my team that people believe it more when they hear it from somebody else than if they hear it from their own CEO. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> kind of like your kind of like your kids when you uh, when you're trying to help them out in sports, they they'll they'll listen much more to the coach than they will you. Absolutely, and yeah, I, you know, people often say to me, "Well, hey, how does same side selling work with your kids?" I said, "Well, it may work with kids, but I can tell you, in my case, it doesn't work with my kids. <laughs> it may work with somebody else. Like I could, I could use some of the same side selling techniques with someone else's kids, but certainly not my own. And I think that's part of what happens is I'll get organizations where I say, "Yeah, well, we read the book, and you know, we're talking to people about it, but they're not quite there." And then I'll come in and do a program, and then all of a sudden they say, "Oh my God." Now everyone's ta- everything's taken off. What's happening? And I often exactly. say, look, it's it's not that I've got something magical. It's just for whatever reason in life, sometimes they they listen more to someone outside than someone inside. Even if I'm telling them the same thing you've been trying to tell them for ever. That's exactly correct. So so as so and, and here's the beauty that I want I want to make sure that people get is and this is the counterintuitive part is. When you focus on solving what's important to the client, you can grow while pursuing fewer opportunities. So, of course, if you're pursuing fewer opportunities and getting more wins, my guess is that as you were growing, not only was the business growing, but you know, aside from extraordinary expenses like an acquisition, my guess is your margins were increasing also. Well, absolutely. I mean, you're, you're helping solve a problem, and – when when you're actually helping someone solve a problem, you're focused more on the outcome of of the solution than what's typically on the upfront of which is well, what's your service and what does it cost. And yeah. so so it's it's so when you're focused the other way, it's it's inherent to the whole process that you're you're actually delivering something that is considered much more valuable in, in the client's eyes. So uh, yes, that's an, that's that's a byproduct of that entire process. Yeah. So, so I've got, I've got two final questions for you. The first one is, so you sold the business and, and just so that everyone understands, there's a reason why I'm not asking Howard about what the business is doing today, because the company acquired him as a public company. So he can't talk about anything in the future going forward. So we're talking about everything that got him to the point where he sold the company. So the first question I have for you is after you sold the company, did you did you make any stupid purchases? Did you do anything where you said, "All right, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna reward myself with this one thing before I get back to work"? Well, I've been asked that question many times, and uh, the, unfortunately, the answer is no. Although I did take a a, a trip with the, the family uh, during the summer. Yeah. Well, and you know what? And that's not, you know that's experiential. So. Creating those experiences, candidly, it's why we work so hard. It's why we do things. It's probably the greatest area 
in in my family's life where we spend money that might not make sense to other people, which is if there's something I can do that creates an experience that my kids will remember 10 years from now, then I'm okay doing it. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm much more prudent on other things, but if it's going to create a great experience, we'll do that. I just, just take a trip with my son to go see his favorite soccer team it happens to be a team based out of the, out of the United Kingdom. And his birth, his birthday was a few months back. And I said, well, what do you want to do? He goes, well, I mean, what I'd love to do is go see the Tottenham Hotspurs play. And I said, okay. And he goes, well, I know that can't happen. And two days later, I said, okay. So we're going to go see this one game. And he looked at me like, really? But that to me is, yeah, it's a little frivolous, but he'll remember us taking that trip for many years, and so will I. And you know, you can't buy that. Absolutely. Yeah. So that side is magic. And and so the, the 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 second question, final question I have for you is so you know, you've you've accomplished something that many entrepreneurs dream of, which is I grew a business to over a hundred million dollars and it was valuable enough that someone else wanted to acquire it. So what's the one piece of advice you would have for people who are who are running a business on how they can get to that same environment? Well, I'll give I'll give two pieces of advice that fit together, and and this seems this, everybody says this, but it's it's absolutely true. Is always hire the best people you can, and when you've made a mistake, and you will, and you will hire somebody that's not turned out to be the best person. Don't take time to make the decision to make a change, because that will cost you more than anything else. And that that's the two pieces: one, hire the best people, and two. If you get someone who's not the best person, don't lament over it. Just pull the trigger and make the decision. That's correct. Yeah, I, I will tell you that in my in, in, in my past business and my current business, every time I look back when I had somebody who I said, you know, maybe they're not the right person, they always end up not being the right person. But sometimes it takes me weeks, months, or even more than a year to finally realize and pull that trigger. And as I've gotten older – I got a shorter fuse on that because I realize, look, when your instinct says this person isn't right, you're probably right, and it's time to move on. That's absolutely correct. So excellent. All right, Howard. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. It's it's a great story, and as much as you are kind enough to um, to give me some credit, I always say to people, look, there's plenty of organizations who I speak with who don't actually do the work and don't actually take the time to execute these strategies. And so it's, you know, you and your team get all the credit. I was just lucky enough and fortunate enough to, uh, to be able to see part of it. Well, Ian, thanks for your time. And, and it was great for, uh, the work that you helped us with. And, and as always, uh, glad to, glad to participate. Awesome. Howard, what's the best way for people to find you and learn more about BrightClaim? Uh, we, we, uh, our website is, uh, www.brightclaim.com. Uh, B R I G H T bright, um, yep. and I'm also on on LinkedIn uh, with yep. my name and and bright claim. So, uh, uh, and and we we do have a a Twitter account, but uh, probably the other two ways is how you can uh, reach out to us. That's perfect. All right, Howard. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you, Ian. Have a great day. Man, you know what? It's just Howard's got such a laid back way. 
and the fact that he grew that business. And I know he gives me a lot of credit and some of my colleagues, but I will tell you that it's all him and his team because you actually have to do the work. You can't just talk about it. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways I think you can use right away. I love the fact that Howard says right there at the end, look, you got to hire the best people. And when someone's not a fit, you got to make that decision swiftly. It's something that I hear over and over from top performers. Also, notice how when he was doing acquisitions, he wasn't focused on how do I just acquire someone like us? He's always thinking of how do I fill the gaps for the problems we solve for our customers? And then his messaging and his marketing aligns with that. If you follow those simple principles, you'll see dramatic success just like Howard has. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. There's a guest you want me to have on. There's a topic you want me to cover. Just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week. Add value and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.